our people are really getting hit hard by the pandemic, both from a health perspective and economically. So we were able to tell a pretty powerful story just over the telephone. And in April, we had our best ever. Uh, and it was really because we had an experienced team and had a mission that was really being negatively affected by the pandemic. From Virtuous, I'm Noah Barnett, and this is the Responsive Fundraising Podcast, a show where we talk with fundraising leaders and thinkers to uncover how today's top nonprofits craft remarkable donor experiences and build lasting relationships at scale. On this episode, I sit down with Tony Smircina, who's the Assistant VP of Development at Catholic Extension, and Travis DeRamsey, the Senior Director of Development at Catholic Extension. And this was a unique episode because I got to sit down with both Travis, who oversees the annual fund giving and donor acquisition, donor cultivation and stewardship program at Catholic Extension, but also then follow that up with a conversation with Tony, whose team actually does the major donor development. And so this episode is really interesting because we get to see the full picture of a development program of a very mature fundraising organization and really unpack how they cultivate deep donor relationships across different types of donors with the intent of both increasing the engagement and the impact that they're able to have together with their donors. It's a great episode, so let's dive in with Tony and Travis at Catholic Extension. Travis, you're the Senior Director of Development for Annual Giving at Catholic Extension today, but I know you you know, relatively recently joined the team there to lead this effort. What was kind of your path to this role in as a Director of Development, especially with Catholic Extension? Good question. I've, uh, I've been involved in direct response marketing my entire career, so I did a lot of work on the for-profit side of the, of the, the, uh, the business. Um, I got involved in development, um, working for uh, a couple of different organizations uh, over the last five to seven years. So I've been with Catholic Extension now for about eight months. I came in to run the annual giving uh, team, which uh, constitutes the new donor, new donor acquisition, uh, the annual appeals campaign process, digital fundraising, stewardship, and gift processing. But I have, uh, but I've, I've been in, involved at, you know, in development uh, and, and, and advancement roles um, again officially for five to seven years. But I've done a lot of my own kind of uh, personal fundraising on the side as well, um, you know, kind of my own uh, philanthropic uh, interests. Yeah, indeed, and I think it, it that that kind of hybrid of being involved in nonprofits, but also coming from kind of a deep expertise in just the process of direct response or getting kind of digital marketing and kind of that that response mechanism, I, I'm sure provides as a helpful resource for you as you lead the team now at Catholic Extension, because your oversight is pretty pretty broad as far as you know, ranging from acquisition to retention to cultivation. Uh, and across a multitude of channels. So I kind of want to break that down with you and, and learn more about, you know, how you all approach that. And I wanted to start with acquisition. Like, how are you focused as a team on new donor acquisition, especially amidst, you know, 2020 and kind of the challenges that that has brought with it? Yeah, good question. Um, you know, everything we do here, either whether it be on the acquisition side, the appeal side, or stewardship, um, whenever we're working to do a communications campaign or program, to our donor base or to a potential donor base, um, it's everything is very multi-channel focused, right? So we don't really approach it and say, we're going to do a mail campaign or a digital campaign. Um, what we do is we, we approach everything um, or from an acquisition perspective, uh, again, a stewardship perspective, 
um, and even a retention perspective from a multi-channel perspective, uh, multi-channel focus. So um, we understand, you know, our, our ultimate goal in every communication we do is really about getting the right communication to the right person or the donor um, at the right time, utilizing the right channel. So we've done a lot of work um, since I came in the door to kind of identify how donors um, interact with us and how we need to interact with them. Um, and we're still figuring that out. There's a lot of additional data we're trying to collect so that we can be more efficient and effective in how we do communicate with our donors. Um, one of the things that I'm really focusing on uh, from an acquisition perspective is, you know, diversifying our donor base. Um, as, as a lot of acquisition campaigns um, go with a lot of different organizations, you know, they do what, what they call a lot of lookalike modeling. So it's taking our database and understanding who that consumer or who that donor is and then looking for people that look like them. And that's great because you can really drive some, some good acquisition and, and drive high response rates uh, by doing that. But when you have a donor base that's um, kind of, when they, their average age is a little bit older, you really want to diversify that, um, that base. So that's one of our big focuses now. But again, everything we do here, regardless of what we're trying to accomplish, whether it be acquisition, retention, or stewardship, is really focused from a multi-channel perspective. Yeah, and that's so important. We've seen that here at Virtuous too, that organizations that take that multi-channel view and really focus on the the donor, not the channel, and then having that single conversation to cultivate that donor through various channels is much, or drives uh, increased results. And, and so uh, could you kind of like, I guess, give us some visibility, maybe color it in, like what you mean by that? Because I think sometimes like multi-channel, I definitely get it. But like, what are the components or kind of the architecture of a campaign that you might be running that involves multi-channel? I think coloring it in a little bit would be helpful for our audience. Sure, of course. Um, so we do, uh, for example, on a lot of our acquisition campaigns, which we do utilize a, a list source to um, get our, our list to actually mail to or to communicate to. So we take those, we do um, a direct mail piece to, you know, based on a different theme, maybe on a month we have... Right now, we're using what our control packages for acquisition is really a Pope-based uh, Pope, uh, theme. So it's, uh, you know, really following in line what the, the Holy Father has, has done and said about the poor, um, which is our, our, our main focus for our, with our mission is helping um, America's poorest regions develop vibrant and transformative Catholic faith communities. So that's one of the packages. But in addition to the mail piece, what we also do is what we call co-mingling, co I'm sorry, co-marketing. So we take the names that we have um, that we purchase and we will work with a variety of different social platforms to understand who we can find out there on the social platform that's on the list. Um, and, we, and we work through our, our list broker um, to, to, uh, to uh, um, implement this campaign or this process of a campaign. And we have seen very good results coming from uh, kind of a social media co-marketing approach along with our mail campaign so that's that's one one example um, you know we of course do the same thing with our retention campaigns or our appeals so what you know going out to our donor base and asking for additional donations um, we do the same same kind of approach um, but we also run with our acquisition campaigns we will we do run independent digital campaigns to try to understand how we can acquired new donors through uh, different means versus just relying heavily on mail, which has always been kind of a fallback for so many organizations is, uh, you know, mail is 
mail is still king to a great extent, but I think that you, know, you really need to kind of you know, diversify that, that communication mix. And you know, it, it, it's good to hit them more than once. So if you have a one-two punch, so to speak, and communicating to uh, a potential donor, uh, it helps really sell the message that you're trying to get across and increases your percentage of response um, from from that donor from that uh, prospective donor base. Yeah, and I've seen that firsthand when I was running campaigns. We were even just doing something as simple like sending out the mail piece and then making sure we delivered emails around the delivery date, where it, it reinforced the story or the appeal uh, that was in the mail campaign. And that was probably five or six years ago, and we saw you know incredible results just with that simple touch. You know that two pronged approach. So oh yeah, absolutely. As more channels open, you know, there's even more ways to kind of uh, do more of like surround sound appeals, which I think is yeah. the channel becomes really helpful. Yeah, we do a lot of email as well. I mean, we do so. so uh, as far as email on the uh, acquisition side, we've tested, and um, it hasn't really performed extremely well. But um, we're going to be testing that again coming in the fourth quarter and definitely into 2021. The, on the retention side, when I say retention, I mean, you know, we're going out to our existing donor base and again, trying to get them to give us additional donations um, through the appeals process. We uh, do, we've tested a variety of different approaches. So we've tested um, a pre-email, letting people know that, hey, keep your eyes open, something coming in the mail from you, for you from Catholic Extension. Um, and then we do post-email through the mail campaign. Um, and we've definitely seen an uptick in uh, a lift and response rate by utilizing that approach. So we do a lot of email on our existing donor, with our existing donor base to drive additional donations. Yeah, absolutely. And I know we've talked previously and you actually have an interesting approach to the stewardship cultivation process. You have like, a, I think it's called a 12 step process. Can you kind of expose some of that and some of the learnings or ways that other organizations can maybe model some of the best practices that you're, you're implementing through that system? Sure. Um, I, I'll certainly give you some, some overview. Um, I don't want to give all the secrets away. <laughs> but, um, you know, the, the main focus when it comes to stewardship for us is making sure that our donors know that we know who they are and that we appreciate them. That's kind of the, you know, the, the cornerstone and the key focus for, for all stewardship campaigns. And what we really found out through doing some, uh, some back-end analysis on, on campaigns that we had, um, had, had been conducted even prior to my coming to the Catholic Extension was that there, just, there was not a lot of um, visibility and understanding or learning or educating our donors about our mission. Um, it was so focused on um, you know, just the gift receipt up front, maybe, um, but it would just say, thank you for your most recent gift. Um, so what, what we did is kind of really dug deep into understanding how we wanted to educate our donors um, and certainly do that in the, in the first several months of them coming into being part of our world. So we start out with a gift receipt and really focus on, and we've done a lot of programming with and working with our, our, data, our, our data providers to really talk to that donor from the very first communication outside of the appeal or outside of the, um, you know, the, the initial letter that we sent them or the communication we sent them to acquire them, we want to let them know that, you know, we appreciate the, the, them. Uh, and, you know, here's your gift receipt. We appreciate you becoming a member. Um, due to your donation level, you are a member of a specific donor society within our organization, like a mission partner or what we call a two by two, which would be people that are in a higher level giving, like a mid-level giving uh, segment. 
Um, and then as well as our major gift uh, individuals who, re who we receive gifts from. So we talk to them very individually um, and let them know that we know who they are, how they give, their giving behavior, what their interests are um, from the very beginning. And then we move into uh, a welcome series. So it's either for our lower, lower level gift giving um, donors, we send a, a self mailer um, that is uh, you know, just a bit more education about our, our mission. Um, but some of our higher level givers, they get the welcome self mailer as well as an acknowledgement letter from our, our, um, our president. Um, and if you're above a certain level of giving, it's actually a hand signed letter. So we do digital signed letters for a certain level of giving, hand signed letters for a higher level of giving. And then after that, so it's another level of thank you um, and education of our, our mission. Uh, the next step really goes into what we call our membership package communication, which is that helping them, again, continue to, to you know, educate them on our mission, um, but really help them understand that they're, you know, they're a part of something bigger. You know, it's not just them donating to us, but they, they, they're part of this, this organization of people that um, have the same interests that they do. And, you know, we call them mission partners or we call them two by two partners. Um, and two by two, just so you know, it's, it's one of those things we do kind of have to explain, but for very faith-based uh, individuals, two by two is, 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 um, is how Jesus sent disciples out um, into the world to, to help uh, their ministry. So that's kind of why we adopted that name. So as we walk with you in solidarity, you're a two by two membership uh, partnership. Um, and then it goes on into where we educate people about all of the different resources that we have available from our digital perspective. We don't, we don't try to move people into a digital environment. We try to let people know that they have, that they have resources available to them because we want every individual that we communicate with and that is in our donor base to, to, you, you, to communicate with us in the way that they want to or to, to let us communicate with them in the way that they prefer. So again, if, you know, we, we let you know that resources are available from a digital perspective. We do in hopes that some people will utilize those resources, but it's not a, it's not a, it's not a scenario where we try to, you know, force you into moving into a digital world if that's not comfortable for you. So it's, um, it, it's one of those uh, uh, approaches of let's just, again, educating people on what's available. And then as you continue through the process of the, of the year, we do quarterly import, impact reports. So it's, again, another letting people know, letting donors know how their money is being utilized. We do annual reports. Um, we do anniversary mailings. And then we also end there in the latter part of the 12-step process, so from step six through, through 12, we intermingle in some um, appeals. So we, and when we talk to them and we understand that they're like new donors um, so that we, you know, appreciate their initial gift. You know, we're not coming at you and asking for an additional gift, um, but they're inter, inter, intermingled in the, in the last six months of that first 12 month period. So that's kind of the, the 12 step new donor plan. Yeah. And I think it's helpful to lay it out that way and understand kind of how organizations view that because it really emulates what we kind of talk a lot about here at Virtuous around responsive fundraising. It's this idea of like you're listening and you're connecting and the commitment that you all have at Catholic Extension to do that really well. I'm like, okay, what do we know about the donor? How can we connect them? What do we suggest them to do next? Um, is really a great example of what that looks like in practice. I know we're almost out of time, but I definitely want to address, you know, kind of the elephant in the room is that like, you know, we're half or nine months into 2020 and it's brought an immense amount of challenges, but I feel like we're still at the front end 
of the real impact it's going to have on nonprofits, especially their fundraising programs. So being someone that, you know, is directing the development of annual giving donors, which is a large portion of Catholic Extension donors, how are you looking ahead to Q4 2020? You know, we have the election, obviously year end, there's a pending economic kind of institution, but then into 2021, what's top of mind and what what are you keeping the focus on as you lead your team in that direction? Yeah, this is a really great question. Considering uh, the current state of the um, you know, of the world and that we're kind of working through the pandemic um, as well um, as the presidential campaign coming up, which is uh, bringing a lot of unknowns. Um, and then, you know, the... Um, the racial tension that goes on and and we definitely do not take a, an approach from a political standpoint um you know a, a catholic extension but it's still something that impacts what we do mm. so we do have to take all those uh things into consideration so as i as i look at the fourth quarter we have a plan in place on how we're going to approach um the fourth quarter which is obviously kind of what we call the giving season um you know we definitely see our our traditionally our our the, the, the amount of funds we raise um, is really heavy in the last quarter of the year, and it's very traditional across the board for most organizations. Um, but I, I guess the way that we're approaching it is we have a plan in place, but we have to be very ready to be flexible and nimble and adjust and turn on a dime. So one of the things that we have really um, worked on here is to making sure that everybody realizes that you know we need to address the, as you say, the elephant in the room, um, not be afraid to talk about the things that um, may be a little um, disheartening or, or um, create uh, concern, but we want to address that we are still pushing our mission forward, that we are still helping um, the individuals that we serve, the poorest uh, individuals, you know, that uh, in, in the United States, um, which is part of our mission, in that um, you know we really try to impress upon our donors that more now than ever we need to come to the table and help the individuals that are not able to help themselves due to the the impacts of the pandemic and other other factors that exist out in the world. So I guess I, I'm hoping I answered your question, but it's really again. We have the plan in place, but as we have pretty much every month of the year since the pandemic hit, we have to reevaluate, is that the right way to go and make adjustments and, and, and move forward quickly. And um, again, as I said before, be very nimble in our approach. Absolutely. And I think, I think that does answer the question because it's all, you know, what you said was, hey, we have a plan. We're being proactive we're not necessarily going to shy away from the challenges that, you know, our donors are experiencing. Cause like we're, we're talking to people that are experiencing the same things we are, you know, as a society and we can't ignore that. And third, like the importance of being nimble, like flexible, adaptable, like being able to move and understand that you have to change as things change. And that's really, I think, solid advice to leave us with. And, and if anyone, you know, listening to this is thinking through that, like proactive planning, uh, understanding that your message needs to be contextual, not shying away from that and what your donors are dealing with and, and being nimble is, is the key to real success. That's uh, brilliant advice, Travis. So I appreciate it. Absolutely. Um, it's, you know, it's definitely, 
to some degree, one day at a time, um, even with the plan. But I mean, you know, we, for example, we just had an, um, a campaign to, you know, especially as hurricane season's here, we do a, a lot of work with um, relief services in that regard, um, you know, trying to help those uh, ministries that are going on in those areas that are impacted. Um, and right now we just got through doing a campaign um, for uh, the damage that was done down the Rio Grande Valley um, in the Diocese of Brownsville. And it was one of those things that was kind of thrown at, not thrown at us, but I mean, one of those, the, the things that came up that we needed to address and it took energy and, and, um, and focus, um, you know, we had to re redirect some of our energy and our focus to, to make sure that we could accommodate the, that, that, um, that need. Um, so yeah, it's just one of those things that it's a, it's a day by day process of evaluating what your plan is and how you need to change your plan to accommodate what's going on to be relevant and to make sure that the donors know that they are the key factor in helping us help others. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a great way to end. Thanks for the time today, Travis. Absolutely. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. Tony, you've spent a long time working in a nonprofit, but then also with nonprofits and now with Catholic Extension. But what was kind of the path or the squiggle that you took to get to where you are now? And what have you gleaned from those experiences, uh, both on the consulting side and the operator side, that you're now uh, leveraging in your role at Catholic Extension? Yeah, I started in nonprofit work almost 30 years ago, running a nonprofit. I was executive director for a nonprofit in Indiana. Took a real interest in fundraising, and really moved more of my attention there. And after about 13 years, I moved into fundraising consulting. I wanted to start helping other nonprofits do some of the, the same things uh, that, that I had done. I had my own firm for a while, uh, which was later acquired by Pursuant in Dallas. Worked for them for about eight years. So it's only been really in the last four years that I've been working directly for a nonprofit on the, on the frontline uh, fundraising a few years for the United Way of Metropolitan Dallas. And then in 2019, moved to Catholic Extension. And, and throughout those that, you know, cause it's an incredible set of experience that I'm sure plays out in how you lead your team today and even just approach the fundraising tasks. So I guess uh, what, what's been the common thread through that that's driven success whether it was, you know, when you were executive director or leading donor development efforts or just advising nonprofits, like what are kind of the key components you've seen that are must-haves to drive success with donor development? Well, first and foremost, as fundraisers, we need to be willing to try new things. So the organization that I worked for initially uh, had not gotten into the major gift arena. So we did that during the time that I was there. Uh, and then I tried to translate uh, that those skills to help other nonprofits as a consultant. And along the way, in my consulting days, I really did learn that everything that we need to do from a strategic standpoint when we are trying these new things needs to be grounded in data. So knowing your data, understanding your numbers, understanding your constituency, uh, because, you know, it's different, you know, for every nonprofit are really some of the important things to develop those new strategies. 
Yeah. And I think that's a great point because there's this big press in nonprofits where it's kind of like, oh, should we be data driven or should we be donor centric? And one thing that we found in our research is that, well, it's more nuanced than that, right? Like, and so what we talk about a lot is like tuning into donor signals to be able to better cultivate relationships with your donors. So it's not neglecting the data or overemphasizing one or the other. But how are we using this data as signals from donors to be able to better cultivate them? And I'm curious for from you, when you talk about data, like what data are you looking at? What's important? Because there's so much data. So it's like, how are you translating that data into action for yourself or for your team? Catholic In Catholic Extension's case, the organization has been around for 115 years. So, you know, we have a, a wealth of giving history uh, on our donors. So we're, you know, constantly taking a look at that to identify people that have been loyal to us for a, a longer period of time uh, through um, your uh, virtuous tool, our ability to look into uh, wealth information, uh, the donor search information that's that's visible. We're constantly, you know, balancing the giving history, the, the wealth information that we can see through your system, uh, and then also beginning to look at how how are our donors interacting with us through the digital content that we're pushing out to them. So really those three pieces, the past giving, uh, the wealth indicators, and how are they showing interest in us through the, their consumption of our, uh, the digital content that our marketing people are pushing out? We're kind of weaving all three of those together uh, to help identify some of the best people that we need to approach for major gifts. Yeah, and I, and I think it's so important that because I think as more data comes into a nonprofit, it is about that, not individual data sets, but how we weave those together to kind of paint that picture. And that's why we found it helpful to think about it as like these ideas of donor signals and, you know, what's the involvement that they have, what's the interest that they have, and what's the intent, whether that's timing or, you know, why they support your organization. Um, and I know all of those are really interesting and kind of integrated into the major gift process and how major gift officers cultivate donor relationships. How is your, like, I'm just thinking, like, how is your team, how do you motivate your team to focus on that? And then how are you measuring success for your major gift officers? Because I know that's that's a kind of debated topic in donor development. I'm curious how you think about that and actually implement it at Catholic Extension. So we have major gift officers that are working remotely in different parts of the country. And one of the, one of the things that we do is they all have their own individual goals, not only for uh, revenue, but the number of uh, large proposals that they have. We're defining large proposals as $100,000 or higher. Uh, we're obviously looking at, you know, some of the more straightforward metrics such as, um, you know, such as their number of donor uh, meetings every month, which of course has been somewhat of a challenge. Uh, so, you know, we count virtual yeah, meetings yeah. <laughs> uh, now toward that number. And, and I think that brings up a great point is obviously there's kind of the standard ways that you can measure success for a donor development team. But in 2020, a lot of what a major gift team did, at least uh, tactically, kind of was upended when we had the shelter in place and kind of all the, the new restrictions that are rightfully implement because of the global pandemic. How, how has your team pivoted or evolved to 
still do their job and cultivate donors and steward donors through this time? We were in a very fortunate circumstance in that while I'm new, uh, our major gift officers have three or more years of experience. Our head of development has been here for 10 years. Our president has been here for 12 years. So they were really in a fortunate situation to leverage the relationships that they had built up over the past few years. And because the um, constituency that we support, uh, which are um, less resource, poor Catholic faith communities in rural areas, our people are really getting you know, hit hard by the pandemic, both from a health perspective and economically. So we were able to tell a pretty powerful story uh, just over the telephone. And, you know, in April, we had our, we had our best April ever. Uh, and it was really because we had an experienced team and we had, you know, we had a mission that was really being negatively affected by the pandemic. Yeah. And it's incredible how, relationship equity that is built in non-crisis times really pays huge dividends. And I think it's, it's, the, it's the hard thing to show on a spreadsheet on a quarter by quarter basis or an annual basis to the board or to leadership that what you're actually building over time is, is relational equity and that that pays dividends just like a stock portfolio would. You know, I saw that firsthand um, at the organization I was at because we had such a strong, loyal donor base. And every time there was a crisis, every time there was a need, even if it impacted them directly, they would step up and just make decisions because they cared deeply about the cause and knew that we were the right conduit for them to invest through because they trusted us and they believed and had confidence that we could help them you know, serve that need. And I think positioning that going forward as, as a focus for donor development teams and just nonprofits in general is so essential. And I think it shows up more in times of crisis. And so I'm just thinking like, you know, you talk about trying new things um, as a key way for fundraising staff uh, or a key thing that fundraising individuals need to focus on. And obviously this, this time that we've been has kind of required us to try new things by force. So are there any things that you all have tried that have worked or maybe didn't work that you've been focused on in cultivating relationships the past six months? Well, a couple of things come to mind. I mean, we, we have jumped full force into offering up virtual donor meetings as an option. Now, that's easier with donors that you already know. Uh, however, uh, we have uh, a mid-level officer on our team who is responsible for upgrading our longtime lower-level donors to $1,000 or higher. And he's had 60 donor meetings really since our shelter in place started in March. And they were all with people that he's never met. Now, these were existing donors, uh, but he was reaching out to them and suggesting a virtual donor meeting as the only option. And he's, and, and we've seen his success in upgrading people, uh, it's been just as good through virtual donor meetings as it has, as it was in person prior to the pandemic. Yeah. And I do think that this pandemic, even just from like today's donor has almost accelerated the adoption of new ways to connect with individuals where, cause I remember, you know, I had three donor middle donor reps on my team and they spent all their time writing notes and making phone calls. 
I never want, you know, I'm a pretty digital savvy person. I never thought once like, oh, we should have them jump on a web meeting and meet face to face. Like, and I don't know why it just wasn't something normal that we thought about. Like we could have totally done that, but now it's almost like the pandemic has actually made that more approachable and the adoption of that type of technology, whether it's the increased use of FaceTime normally, or then obviously Zoom and other things to connect with individuals has opened up that opportunity but it's still all about building that connection. The channels change or the mediums change, but it still goes back to that core of what you do, which is how do we build stronger relationships with our donors? And that includes connection with and confidence in, because that that those are the key drivers of further investment, you know, based on just research and practical experience. Our mid-level officers really kind of modeled the way our, he, he's actually in turn uh, trained our major gift officers on effective ways to conduct virtual donor meetings. He's trained our president, uh, our president who's 78 years old, had his first Zoom meeting with a donor couple last week. And it's, uh, it's been amazing. And one of the things that we found is that it's actually easier to share content with a donor through a virtual meeting than it is in person. You know, you're not having to pull out your iPad and, you know, when you're sitting in someone's living room, we just you know, share the screen and, you know, we can show video or really anything that we've got in our marketing arsenal. Yeah, that's a great point that I hadn't thought about, but how virtual meetings actually introduce advantages for making that connection and being able to showcase that. And I'm so I'm curious, like, how how do you obviously like we're we're hopeful that we're on a path back to a world where we can, you know, raise our hands and get on planes and fly and meet with people and shake hands and have lunch with people, you know, less than six feet away in the future. But what, what are you planning on taking with you from this time? Like what is your team adapted to or that you think will continue to be a part of the tool set that you all use to build relationships going forward? One of the things that we were talking about the other day is that what, this pandemic has caused us to realize is that it's okay to slow down. And thinking back to this time a year ago and how busy we were and getting on airplanes every week and you know, just putting forth this very time-consuming effort to get the job done, is it begins to cause you to reevaluate whether all that busyness is really necessary. Because, you know, we have enjoyed some success uh, just doing things over the telephone and through these virtual meetings. And, and we have been doing in-person meetings again since, uh, since June in certain parts of the country where it's, it's been appropriate. But it's okay to slow down. Uh, to give you an, an example, we, we've been able to do some things that we always wanted to do uh, but felt that we didn't have time. For example... In April and May, we contacted all of the people who have indicated they're in what we call our legacy club, our planned giving society, about 1,300 of those people. Uh, we made telephone calls to all 1,300 just to see how they're doing, check in, see if they've got any questions, not to ask them for anything. And we were, I think we connected with actually about 300 of those and you know, it's such a valuable touch point that, you know, in busy times, we never would have been able to do. And the idea of slowing down, I think, is also a reminder that our efforts should also mirror 
our, our supporters. And so the fact that kind of like our supporters lives have slowed down as well, gives us the opportunity to kind of mirror that. And instead of responding to the uncertainty in kind of a frantic thing, which I feel like a lot of commentary and socialization, especially in March and April and May, were kind of this frantic <laughs> approach when people were caught flat-footed, you know, by the pandemic. And really kind of mirroring that donor and saying, okay, well, what do our donors need? What do our supporters need? And how can we posture that effectively? So that's a great reminder of kind of what that looks like. I want to transition a little bit because obviously, you know, you focus a lot on the major gift side, the major donor development, but at Catholic Extension, there's another side of this. So, you know, there's a team that works on uh, annual giving or those newer donors that are coming in and are being cultivated and are learning about the, the mission and the heart of what Catholic Extension is all about. How does your team in donor development view and work alongside the annual fund team to kind of build that holistic donor journey? Well, they're building relationships with people who, some of them, you know, will become the major gift donors of, of tomorrow. Uh, so what they do is, you know, it, it directly, you know, impacts us, especially as we reevaluate re our portfolios, you know, on a quarterly basis to, to look for new people that the major gift team can reach out to. And, you know, we're uh, a big believer in donor acquisition, you know, you know a pretty assertive donor acquisition program that our annual giving team uh, carries out every year. And, you know, they're, they're able to bring some people uh, into our donor base uh, that can potentially be major gift prospects right away. Uh, so, you know, what they do, particularly from a donor acquisition perspective, is very important to helping identify new prospects for major gifts. Absolutely. And I'm seeing more and more as I talk with uh, nonprofit leaders, especially those that are trying to create this kind of responsive donor experience, you know, regardless of the level of engagement a donor has, is where those those two functions are kind of the walls are being cut down a little bit. Um, and not that and there's a lot more collaboration between that because there's a view that a donor to Catholic extension or a donor to the nonprofit is just as important regardless of their engagement. There might be a different level of service that's provided or care that's taken for each of those donors, but every single donor matters. And we need to make sure that they feel that way and feel connected with that. Because um, we're seeing a lot of you know trends that point to the fact that people are opting out of giving to charitable giving or charitable mm -hmm. organizations. And we found through some research that it's due to kind of them feeling like they don't belong or that they don't have a connection with or there's not a place for them, especially with small and mid-tier donors. And I think this kind of more holistic view of the donor is going to be really important as we look forward, especially, you know, knowing that, and especially in times of crisis with relationship equity, that's how we can sustain and build and grow through these times of uncertainty that we're going through right now. Any thoughts on that or things that you're kind of thinking about as you wade through the rest of 2020 and even begin thinking about 2021. What's top of mind? What keeps you up at night? Um, what are you looking forward to? We're looking forward to the election getting behind us. And I think that there's you know, going to be some uh, some choppy waters here in the, in the months ahead. And while we had a, a, a very strong first half of 2020, the uh, second half of this year, uh, is likely going to be much different, and at least until we get uh, past the political season and, and there's some some clarity there. Uh, 
as, you know, as far as, as going forward, I mean, we're, we're challenged with something that a lot of faith-based organizations are challenged with, and that is that you have an older donor population. And, you know, how, how can we do a better job uh, capturing uh, younger donors? And, you know, in, in our case, uh, even with our existing major gift donors, you know, that are, uh, are older now, you know, how can uh, we bring in the next generation of their family uh, and, and introduce them to Catholic Extension in the same way that their parents are, are passionate about us. I mean, that, that's, that's probably the thing that really keeps me up at night the most is, you know, how do we, how, how do we become just as appealing to the next generation of these families as we are for the, the patriarchs of the family? So we're, uh, you know, we've got our work cut out for us for sure. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Responsive Fundraising Podcast by Virtuous. Each episode we've designed to really give you the insights into the philosophy, process, and playbook of leading nonprofits so that you can grow giving and build deeper relationships with the people who matter most, your donors. And if you want to dig further into responsive fundraising, we've actually put together an exclusive content pack just for listeners of this podcast. If you go to virtuouscrm.com slash podcast, that's virtuouscrm.com slash podcast, you can download a content kit that includes the Responsive Fundraising Blueprint, which outlines all of the strategies that are involved in implementing responsive fundraising. You'll also get the Responsive Fundraising Playbook, which includes 20 plus plays, which are basically strategies that you can implement today at your nonprofit to become more responsive and ultimately raise retention and increase giving. We'll also throw in a bunch of other resources and content that is going to be helpful for you as you think about how you're applying responsive fundraising at your nonprofit. And it's completely free. You can grab that at virtuouscrm.com slash podcast. 